announcement. And that is that just a couple of days ago, Friday, was George and Lucia's 63rd wedding anniversary. <laughs> Lucia, you need to wave or stand up or something. She's right there. She's here. Okay, she's not going to. Can we pray? I'll pray for them before George reads for us. Heavenly Father, in this life, we have so many things that we think we need or things that we desire. We sometimes fail to see the gift you've given us, the company of one another. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We thank you that we get to be part of the company that knows George and Lucia. We pray for them, for their health, for their family. We pray, Heavenly Father, a prayer of gratitude that you bless us with their presence. So we thank you on their behalf on this occasion, 63 years, and still declaring your praise, and for that we are grateful. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Two scriptures to read this morning. The first one is Deuteronomy 8, from 7 to 18. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valley and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, and a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget your, the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and build good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water, who has brought you water out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good, do you good in the end. Unless you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth, you shall remember the Lord your God, for he who gives you power to get wealth, that he can, may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is in this day. And the next scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to your gain, but giving you cause to boast about us, 
so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live as themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. For that from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we want once regarded Christ according to the flesh, regard him, regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled the world himself, not counting their trespass against him, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made it for sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become righteous of God. This is the word of God. I have some TV to show you to start. You okay with that? You're okay to watch a little television? A clip from a show called The Office. You can tell the clip is dated because they talk about iPods. There used to be things called iPods. Now they're just iPhones, right? Um, and what I want you to notice in this clip, okay, is all of the custom that becomes the point of humor. The kind of custom and tradition around gift giving. What is upheld and what is broken. Uh, and then we'll use it to enter into our consideration of Thanksgiving. It's a Christmas gift exchange at an office. And rules are broken, particularly by the boss. Presents are the best way to show someone how much you care. It is like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, hey man, I love you this many dollars worth. First present, Oscar. Shower radio, neat. How great, that was for me. Thanks, Kelly. You know I was gonna get okay, one of these. Okay, okay, that's enough. Let's keep it moving on. Jim. Oh, cool. That's for me? Great. Where'd you get it? I don't know. I was so long ago. He obviously forgot to get me something. And then he went into his closet and dug out this little number. And then threw it in a bag. Yep, that's exactly what happened. Pam.
you very much, Santa, whoever you are. It's awesome. There's a little more to it. All right, next. Ryan. No. Whoa, video iPod. Oh, wow, geez. Somebody really got carried away with the spirit of Christmas. That was me. I got carried away with the spirit. Wasn't there a $20 limit on the gift? This is 400 bucks. You don't know that. Yeah, you left the price tag on. I did? What? Oh, shoot. Wow. Okay, well, who cares? Doesn't matter what I spent. What matters is that uh, Christmas is fun, right? Michael. Oh, hey, for me, what is in here? I knitted it for you. An oven mitt? Okay. So Phyllis is basically saying, hey, Michael, I know you did a lot to help the office this year, but I only care about you a homemade oven mitt's worth. I gave Ryan an iPod. Um, should we just keep opening up the presents? Uh, the humor and the awkwardness are around conventions of giving gifts, as we say, mostly broken by the boss. This recognition and expression, what gift-giving is, and therefore what Thanksgiving is, and the greatest offense that he feels is, you care about me exactly as much as a homemade oven mitt. Uh, we turn to the Old Testament and go to prayers of Thanksgiving and our reading for this morning the book of Deuteronomy. Whatever you think about God's word being eternal, and you might realize or believe that God's word is eternal and true and for all of us, uh, it's okay for me to say that not all your friends believe that, probably, or even your family members. But for us as Christians, our contention, one of them would be that we can go back to the Old Testament and be taught, understand, what it means to be formed as a person, as a human, and certainly what it means to be formed as a community. And so in the Old Testament, you're going to get many of these very early expressions as to what it means to be human and what it means to relate to other people. And of course, the connection between humanity and the divine, between us and God. The key in being human, according to the Old Testament and into the New Testament, and particularly for us considering our life in Christ. The key to being human is being in relationship with God. And part of that is thanksgiving. So what I'm saying to you is to go through that whole string is that you lose part of your humanity. You don't know and feel fully what it means to be human if you don't live a life that's marked by thanksgiving. So I gave you kind of a theological string of that, but now I'll just ask you. If you can consider what it means to be thankless, or consider what it feels like to be thankful. See, what I'm saying as a Christian, as a minister, is that life you're feeling in being thankful is because God has made you that way. You're discovering part of your humanity. In the book of Deuteronomy, we can recall what the book is. I could do a little Bible quiz for you. Do you know what the book is? Why on earth would the book of Deuteronomy matter to you? And, of course, many people would say, well, it doesn't. 
We say it matters to you because this book, speaking to these people so many years ago, has something to do with you in your life in a relatively, in some ways, one of the most affluent places in the world. These people had experienced what the book of Deuteronomy is, is Moses, who has led the people for 40 years through the desert, right? From slavery to freedom, from Egypt to the promised land. Deuteronomy are the words of Moses spoken to the people as they are about to experience an incredible transformation. Their lives, which had been about scarcity and dryness, desert, arid life, they're about to enter a land of abundance. And Moses is going to say to them, and he does in Deuteronomy, you need to remember some things because if you don't remember these, you're going to be slightly less than human there. So he tells them some things, and much of it has to do with thanksgiving. Up until this point, they have been slaves and wanderers. In fact, years and decades and centuries later, and even unto this day, these people would be taught and their descendants to say certain things upon entering church, like church, upon taking up certain rituals. And one of them I'll say quickly. Ready? My father was a wandering Armenian. He went down into Egypt to find refuge there. Few in numbers, but there he became a great nation, great, mighty, and strong. The Egyptians ill-treated us. They gave us no peace. And they inflicted harsh slavery on us. But we called on Yahweh, that's God, the God of our fathers. Yahweh heard our voice and saw our misery, our toil, and our oppression. And Yahweh brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror, with signs and wonders. He brought us here and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This was to be recited by faithful Jewish people, memorized and repeated as they brought what was called the first fruits of their life and their harvest to the temple in Jerusalem. These words we remember, they're saying, are brought as a gift and offering on Thanksgiving, a declaration of remembrance and identity. The account over and over again in Deuteronomy is going to be simply, do not forget. Because if you forget God's blessing, some things will happen. Firstly, you will begin to think that the wealth of the land comes from your hand. Right? That's what we read in Deuteronomy. It's beautiful. You'll forget that the power you have to create that wealth comes from me, says God. When you forget that, one of the first things that will happen is that you will cease being thankful, grateful. When you cease as much being thankful and grateful, you will lose part of your humanity. You won't know what, it's, what it means to be fully alive. And as you take your eyes off of God, there will be all kinds of consequences, and there are warnings in that book of Deuteronomy and other places in Scripture. So we'll try it again. If you're not thankful, imagine living a day without being grateful. See, now it can turn spiritual practice into confession. Could you live a whole day without being grateful? Or a week? Or a month? What happens to your emotions? How do you think about other people when you cease to be grateful? And what impact is there on your actions? 
In fact, when you stop being grateful, you get much more self-focused. You become often much more anxious. And you fail to be able to be present to those around you. My central point in this sermon is that thanksgiving produces and recognizes a link. A link between people and ultimately a link between people and God. God is the giver and he gives us what we need. And there is transformation in that. Whether we are in plenty or in little, there's a a wonderful spiritual writer, thinker, Julian of Norwich. You may have heard her. We've used her writing. One of the most famous lines she has, or a couple of lines, or all is well, all is well, all manner of things shall be made well. This has entered, you know, drama and theater and wherever else in our history, Christian and non-Christian alike. She has these visions of Jesus Christ, particularly of his crucifixion, his passion. And she then sees that God is like speaking to her and telling her things. And one of my favorite parts of Julian of Norwich's writing, and I like to keep the old language a little bit, is when she talks about what she feels, and here's the words, whether she is in weal, W-E-A-L, or in woe. Now, you'd be good to remember these words because many of you, I know you and love you, there's times when you're in, when you're in woe. And you might know what it means to feel like, to, what it feels like to be in woe, like in distress. Weal means joy, abundance. And Julian of Norwich says, one of the things that was revealed to me that I saw is that he, God, he keeps us safely alike in weal and in woe. He keeps us. He keeps us safely alike in his love, in weal, and in woe. One of the things you as Christians, you who are gathered here, those who call on the name of Christ, one of the things you owe the world is to seek to understand this so that you can give thanks both in weal, in joy, in abundance, and in woe. The world needs this thanksgiving from us as Christians. So the link that is between people and God is not about abundance or lack thereof. It is about God and his people. And that link is expressed and discovered often in thanksgiving. Try it right now in your spirit, in your prayer. You say, Lord God, thank you. And you might experience something of that connection. And what's interesting is, that gratitude is not dependent upon a good thing happening or a thing of ease. Lord God, thank you for bringing me through that sleepless night. I'm so afraid right now. I'm so concerned. Lord God, thank you for my family. I'm concerned right now about this person in my family, but I'm grateful to you. You can discover that link not simply in abundance. So, Deuteronomy, George read for us, there are two lists in that scripture reading. The first is a list of abundance. Because remember, God is saying, all you people, as you're about to now be transformed from scarcity to abundance, you need to know some things. He says, you're about to enter, and it's so beautiful. You can imagine if you live 40 years in the desert. How would you hear these words? Here's how it starts. You are about to enter a good land. 
They'd fought that land for so many decades. A good land, a land of brooks and water, fountain and springs. These had been desert people. How would they hear those words, fountains and springs? There will be springs flowing in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates and olive trees, honey. You'll lack nothing. And then, I love in that Deuteronomy reading, Moses speaks about the rocks. It's like they could feel the dryness and the desert. And, and the reminder is, you'll dig even under the ground, and even those rocks will bring forth abundance for you. Astonishing to people who had experienced the opposite. You'll dig and get copper. But God says in the second list, through this speech, remember, Moses is saying to the people, remember, God says, I led you, not only will I lead you in this place of abundance, but I led you in that place of scarcity through the great and wild wilderness with fiery serpents and scorpions through that desert. And then he goes to the rock again. And I brought you water from the rock. This miraculous act. I was upset this week because I couldn't find a quote that's one of my favorite quotes, but I can't remember it, and I couldn't find it. I know I spoke it in a little sermon I gave a few times here, and then certainly at my little sister's wedding in Ontario in 2011. The quote, I think, was from a newspaper article, which is why it's hard to find, but it talked about gratitude being the best of all things, the best human emotion, better than anything else. And it said that gratitude opened us up to other good things. To some degree, what the quote was saying is the best thing you can feel is gratitude. And here, these people entering this land, you are going to like the milk and the honey, and it's so very sweet for life. But you know what's better than the milk and the honey? Being grateful. Of course, we know that the reality of the age that we live in, many people, and we say this not as opponents, but we say this just as observation, many people might not think of God first. So I ask this not to condemn, but simply to ask. I ask you, and you could imagine yourself asking some uh, person who has, well, they might say no religious belief. Where does your gratitude find its end? It's completion. You see what I'm asking? Where does your gratitude kind of, I'm grateful for this, and, and then it reaches that level and that's it. So you're grateful for a sunset, right? That can evoke that kind of feeling. Or an occasion, or a person. I'm so grateful for this, or for this person, but if I end there, it's good. It's very good. There's a reason that psychologists and psychiatrists are one of the practices that they're t getting people to do who are experiencing mental health difficulty or depression or whatever else is what? A gratitude journal. Write down things you're grateful for. But of course, for Christian people and maybe other religious people as well, the question would be, who are you expressing your gratitude to? I could say thank you for something you've done for me or given me. But it's always more if I'm thanking, I'm thanking you, but that's not the completion of my gratitude. I am saying, Heavenly Father, you can see this. Well, I did it already. I gave away the end. I'm saying, we ought to be grateful for George and Lucy. 
It's not one great thing. Watch this. We ought to be grateful to God that in this life we have known George and Lucy. Gratitude that moves towards God continues. It's dynamic. Oh God, thank you for this life. All of the customs of gift-giving and thanksgiving play with this idea of this link. It's established. These customs that I mentioned behind me, I read about two cultures. I had this big book on Thanksgiving. It's kind of an anthropology. Uh, And a couple of customs stood out for me. One was that in some traditional Japanese cultures, great attention is given not only to what the gift is given, the gift itself, but to how much it costs. So this would not be frowned upon. You laughed when he said the price tag's still on, right? But in some cultures, it's very important to keep that, that, to let that price be known. In other cultures, one I read about, the practice of gift giving is to, I think of it like a drive-by gifting. Because it'd be like you're standing there, and I walk by, and I just go, I'll use Bart as an example, I go, here, Bart, and I throw the gift at his feet, and I just keep walking. And that's the custom. Because to do otherwise would draw too much attention to yourself. Whatever it is, and whatever the custom is, they're all around this idea of what does it mean to be linked one person to the other, right? So somebody gets upset, they give you something, and you don't write a thank you, and they get all upset, right? And you think, well, I thought you just gave me a gift. I didn't know it was a transaction, right? But that's because they hold a particular view of what is expected in this link. In our world, we could say, this is another quote from that book, just speaking of someone living in a culture like ours of great affluence, And this person said, I don't need to be grateful. I can buy whatever I want. How does that feel to you? I mean, it's true for many of us in in some ways. Our needs are met. I don't need to be grateful. I can buy whatever I want. What's the ultimate expression in that line? It is that there is no link between me and someone else. And we lose part of our humanity. If you feel that you have no need, it's very difficult to receive gifts. It's hard then to create those links in which we discover our humanity. So 2 Corinthians. So I've drawn for you the one picture of people entering a promised land and a land of abundance from a land of scarcity. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21 doesn't appear to be about thanksgiving. But look closely and you'll see some of the things that we're talking about but now from a much more deeper spiritual place. What this text is about is transformation, new creation. You were here, and by God's grace, you are going to be here. You have been made a new creation in Christ. So we persuade others about God, his blessing. We are not commending ourselves to you. This isn't about us. This is about the love of Christ. In other words, faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has remade me. And for that I am grateful. And it's not about me and my strength and my power or my spirituality. But by God's grace and presence in Jesus Christ, I am being remade. A new creation. We don't regard anyone according to the flesh. 
This is about God's goodness in life. All of this is from God. This is the declaration of the scriptures. In Deuteronomy, the transformation is from little to abundance, from slave to free, from wanderer to settled in a land of promise. It's amazing to think about it. But in 2 Corinthians, that transformation happens in Christ, a new creation, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, if you humble yourself and accept this salvation in Jesus Christ, you will be remade. Can I get you to think about this for a moment before we turn to communion? with all this harvest up here, this abundance, instead of thinking about what you want or what you're lacking, think instead about this possibility. The possibility that you would be spiritually transformed. Regardless of circumstance now, that you would be spiritually transformed to love and all that comes from that. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. And then if that were not enough, you want to know how you're supposed to relate to the world as a Christian? Remember we're saying the world doesn't need our condemnation, it needs our faith. If that were not enough, here is where the text will continue. You are experiencing being made into this new creation. And for that, you express thanksgiving, as those people were to do entering the new land. But here's something more. 2 Corinthians verse 16 says, From now on, therefore, and verse 18, all this is from God, who reconciled himself to us. We don't have to live without God. And then this, this is the even more, that God gave us now the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, and sometimes we think of like the beginning of the Bible or, or before, like how, how did this all come to be? And you may have heard in kind of that type of language, God is the first mover or the prime mover. As we think about it in these terms on Thanksgiving, we realize that God is the first giver. He's the first giver, and he always remains the first giver. And Christian faith accepts that and then declares this ministry of reconciliation. We implore you, be reconciled to God. Know what it means to be a new creation. This is Julian of Norwich, and I've kept the old language in. That's not a typo. She says, thanking is a new inward knowing. In other words, in expressing your gratitude to God, you begin to understand what it means to be remade. It is lively and vivid. Gratitude is an awakening in the self. What would it be like if people who don't call themselves Christians in this world if one of the things they noticed about Christians, that they would say to one another, those Christians, they're so grateful. Maybe that would be a witness. Maybe you don't have to tell them anything they're doing wrong. Maybe they won't listen to you if you do. I probably won't. But I could learn an awful lot by your gratitude. 
What a tremendous gift we've been given. Remade. Remade and now thankful. I'm going to pray and we're going to turn to communion. We add this little exercise, and I know these things can seem kind of trite. You know, I'm the type of person that's like, oh, we have to do this. We have to get in a circle or whatever. And don't worry, you don't have to get in a circle, and you don't have to share anything with anybody. But what we'd like you to do after you receive communion, if you want, and I'd like you to, consider coming to the front here and just spot a leaf and take a leaf back. Put it in your Bible or take it home. Put it somewhere where it can remind you to be grateful. It's like a reverse offering that you take, but the reason you're taking this is to remind your spirit, your heart, to express gratitude to God. Of course, as we turn to communion, we realize, talk about God being the first giver. Jesus Christ is the one who, in his sacrifice, has given us life. He, this, this was once for all, but it's also always ongoing that Jesus gives himself for the life of the world. And even as you receive, you take that bread, which is the body of Christ broken for you. You take that cup, the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, you don't have to rely upon yourself. You can trust in Jesus. You take those things, and even the very act of taking them, receiving them, is an expression of thanksgiving. So would you take those? And often the appropriate response You can just say it in your own head, in your own prayers to God as you receive. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for your body, for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for your blood poured out that I would know forgiveness. Let's pray together. Lord God, guide us in this time of communion then and give us grateful hearts. We declare our trust in you. Help us to be good witnesses in this world. Thank you that oftentimes it can can be people outside of the Christian church who are discovering gratitude. Help us to be grateful for that and to encourage it. Help us also to know how and where that gratitude rightly finds its end, its completion, its energy from you. So we say this morning, in this place, and I declare it over every Thanksgiving meal, over every unfulfilled expectation or hope, over every joyful and broken family that gathers, over every person who finds themselves without a place to go. We declare over all of these, thank you, Heavenly Father. May we put our trust in you. Bless us in this time of communion, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Ushers can come.